0: I'm John Perry. I'm Ted Cupper. and this is Constellation, making the graphic novel. Join us as we build an original science fiction world. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Uh, how are you doing, Ted? I am. Uh, I am okay. How are you,
1: John?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, trying times as, as it has been, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna forge ahead into more interesting, fun topics. Um, yes, let's take our so, minds off it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So, uh, Devs is a show we talked a little bit about last episode. Um, I have now watched all of it, uh, but I won't spoil endings or anything. Uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, You have now seen some number of episodes? Yeah, I
1: finished number four last night. I don't have quite as much time to watch things as you, I guess, but I will definitely be watching more of it. It's caught my attention, and I think I've seen enough now that I basically know what the underlying technology is that they are talking about, which they really don't tell you up front um it kind of is revealed slowly and so i think it's yeah maybe a time to share our thoughts a bit what what did you think of it having seen the whole thing
0: well um i i hate to say this but my esteem for it dropped Uh over the course of it yeah so you may uh i don't know how you'll find the rest of the season but that's a warning okay Uh, that's how i found it um I mean I guess to start with some things I like. I mean I like the uh the atmosphere it creates quite a lot. Yeah. Um there's just a lot about the style, you know, the way it looks, the very intense use of music. Yes. Um and some of the you know, it's it's a choice, but I like I enjoyed it and like the some of the imagery and um I like most of the actors in it. Um and I like, uh, the, you know, I like the setting. They sort of, they ground grounded in, in San Francisco and, uh, you know, there's a little bit of spy stuff going on. Um, what I don't like so much is some of the writing, which I won't get into as much because it comes later, but uh, I'm not sure I actually like its main uh, conceit, its main like uh, sci- sci-fi concept at the heart of it. I almost like all of the stuff around that better than the concept itself.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I was, I will admit to being a little disappointed when I kind of figured out what the technology was. I mean, I didn't figure it out. They told us, (laughs) you know, I wasn't like figuring it out ahead of time. Well, I
0: think we can say what that is because you you get that pretty quickly or at least you get it. I mean, it's not a spoiler to know what the technology is. It's not not a twist.
1: It's something that they're like sort of revealing slowly over the first few episodes. And then finally you're sitting there going, okay, well, it's some kind of quantum computer. It's doing some kind of prediction. Um, That much we know. But then we basically discover that it is a kind of world modeler, basically, that uh, can predict the future and view the past um, and can like render it in in, like audio or as a screen or as like a sort of impressionistic point cloud, depending on like where they're at with their technological research. Um, But basically, it's like a time machine viewing system. Right. I mean, that's what I feel like I've seen this before in other sci-fi, um, and it's it's a it's a class of time machine that doesn't take the viewer into a time or bring a time to the viewer, but just you know allows you to view through a media screen other time periods.
0: Right. And the huge philosophical idea that the show is obsessed with is you know this really hard version of determinism uh so you know if you, even if you know the future uh you can't change it and the past is sort of written um you know they're able to you know go back in time and see see you know jesus on the cross and so on um and that's just philosophically and as a sci-fi concept not not my favorite thing it's just sort of something very I mean, it's an old topic that goes back to Greek tragedies and stuff. It's just not, you know, I there's something undramatic to me about it. You know, this idea of like the future is determined and you know it, but you can't change it. I mean, it's never it's never something that's excited me that much in, in fiction, I got to say.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I can think of some things that deal with that concept well, like um, some of the Kurt Vonnegut books, I think, deal with the... Uh, deterministic question. Well, like, uh, Sirens of Titan is popping to mind. Uh, and that's a book about, you know, it's like a classic sort of, uh, Oedipus type story where he gets told he's going to do all this random stuff. And then he does something to try to prevent it. And then that stuff sort of roundabout causes it. Um, but it's done with a lot of humor and, uh, coincidence and fun. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I, I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write off the whole topic. But, I, uh, I mean, of like free will and all of that. I mean, it's you know, it can be interesting. It's, it's not my personal favorite. Right. Uh,
1: I wonder. I guess I haven't seen the second half of it, so I, I've heard the main character, the, the Nick Offerman character, talking about you know determinism in a couple of different contexts so far in this story, and where I, where I sort of expected the, the intellectual thread to go was toward like a Hofstadter view of like the irreducible complexity thing isn't that like the the interesting intellectual out from determinism uh if you want to still did, is that where they go i'm just kind of curious now i'm just asking
0: uh well i don't know well so i haven't <laughs> i actually haven't read those that hofstadter book so i i uh, when you a make long, that reference long book, i mean I know the it. basic
1: idea is just that you yeah. can re- i don't even know how to mathematically explain it but just the you can reconcile the fact of determinism with uh, the way that we seem to have free will if you take into account this idea that things are extremely complex. (laughs) Um, And and that's the simple way of explaining it.
0: Well, I guess, I mean, I guess I could sort of say something adjacent to that, which is that um, this, you know, at at the end of the day, I mean, you know, we're writing a sci-fi that has a pretty out there, premise and um you know i i think i'm game for any weird concept you know even if it's somewhat magical Mm -hmm. um as as long as the story embraces its rules but um you know you gotta have the right hand waves i guess and and this this show does not for me have Ah. you know uh like i find this technology confusing i find the way people talk about it confusing um uh, there's a bunch of things that, like, so for example, why is it a quantum computer? I did some research into this because that, to me, was I was a little bit confused about the connection between that and the whole determinism concept. And there is no connection, right? They right. just make it a quantum computer because it sounds cool. Uh, there's no nothing about. I I I did some reading on what physicists think about this show, and and you know, it sort of confirmed what I felt, which is that there's there's no connection between having a quantum computer and being able to do this. Um, Right. Uh, you know, there's nothing about uh, a classical like like if you wanted to do this kind of prediction, if it was possible, then then a classical computer would be just as good, maybe. Um, but the other problem is that like to do this kind of prediction, you need a huge input of data, right? I mean, that's the original sort of thought experiment about this, right? Uh, which is like you have to know the velocity and position of every particle in the world. If you're some demon that knew that. Uh, right, right.
1: The, the Laplace's demon idea. Yeah, right.
0: then you, then you could, then you could predict everything. Right. So, okay, this is a San Francisco tech company. I guess they're uh, they have access to data. They never really explain that. I needed a little bit of hand waving about that. Right. Do they have like what does this company do? Other well, than they quantum computing? they
1: have in the first episode a quick hand wave where they say something like, "You are the biggest search engine in the world, and you also have like this or that other service." Like, you're they have a bunch of Google like tentacles that you I think are supposed to assume are the sources of their data but it's a pretty quick I mean it's not even like a scientist being like and uh, all of the data that we collect with all of our popular services feeds the thing I mean they don't even th- I don't think go that far at least not yeah in I so. guess you're
0: supposed to infer that now the yeah. thing is that you really really need like I mean the world is so complex which maybe connects to what you're saying um, that to do this kind of prediction to this degree of accuracy, you really need, like, all of the data. And, of course, if there are, like, quantum effects going on... Like, down to y- the sw-
1: spin states of individual electrons and stuff like that? Is that what you're talking about? Like, really, yeah, really Yeah, well, and especially you have data. the problem
0: that when you observe that stuff uh, at a quantum level, like, the observation affects it, right? So, like, it may literally be impossible, but... Um, well, that's okay you- as long
1: as you're in the universe where your observation was the right one. Right. I mean, I think that, I don't think that makes it harder because it, y- you well, just... no, no, because
0: the actual act of observation changes the outcome. So you don't, I mean, my understanding of that is that you can't like, if you had to observe everything to that degree, uh, you would, you, it would be.
1: Yeah. You'd it make wouldn't... a new universe where you'd already observed everything. And that would be the one that you'd be able to sample from, but that's okay. Cause that's also the one you're in, right? You've, You've selected against being in the one where it went the other way by observing it so that's okay i think i don't think that that causes a problem for it but yes it doesn't make any no sense. I,
0: I i think it does but i don't want to get bogged down in that I, okay. I especially if you're trying to reverse and go to the past uh which is this is trying to do um but uh i mean the other thing is that they seem to be saying that the that you can extrapolate from a particle to surrounding particles right which is also something you can't do. You can't be like, right. "Oh, I know the position and velocity of these particles," uh, and so then I'm going to extrapolate like the location and uh, you know trajectory of other particles around it. That doesn't work. Like you can't. Um, <laughs> and 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 the, the silliest thing about all of this is that if you if you didn't have all the data or you had partial data, you might make some prediction. But the fail state would not be, like, you know, a grainy image Well, of that Jesus. is the
1: biggest problem. I mean, that <laughs> would was be such no a Jesus. big problem when I was watching it. It was like, wait a minute. Like, the first time I saw them show an image in the, like, grainy noise, I was very annoyed. And I was like, wait a minute. This is not, like, a t- you know. I mean, yeah, that's, that's crazy. It would... It, and and they do it with the audio too they they have the he plays the audio and it's like garbled radio audio it sounds like analog distortion and then he switches it to a different algorithm that has a more correct view of the world or whatever and uh and suddenly it sounds like uh you know an audio recording you know i mean and i i, I get it like on a cinematic level like why that's powerful to hear but that makes no sense
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's the thing is that uh I mean, I, I really want to contrast this with the the Ted Chang story that we. Uh, oh yeah, because they it? both
1: are about sort of quantum other realms and communication between those things. And so yeah, way.
0: yeah. So this is the uh, from the Exhalation collection. Um, it's the story. Anxiety is the dizziness of freedom.
1: Yeah, I really like this one.
0: Uh, and uh, this one also deals with uh, you know the many worlds uh, hypothesis. Um, but I, I just, well, one of the things that gets right. So the, the basic concept is that they have these prisms and when you switch a prism on, um, it does sort of, you know, a quantum coin flip that can go one way or the other. Um, and, uh, either a a red light or a a blue light I think comes on. Right. Um, and at that point, uh, it forks, right? There's two universes. There's the one where the red light came on, the one where the blue light came on. But what's cool about this prism device is it allows... Uh, data or communication to happen between the two worlds going forward. Um, Right,
1: right. So the way people use these things is that they pre-commit to a decision being dependent on the light color. So it's like I'm going to either take the job or not take the job, marry the girl or not marry the girl, based on red or blue. And then, you
0: can do that, but you don't have to do that. Right, uh, but that's, don't a, even way, that's a way that people
1: use them, and I think it's it's an instructive way to think about it. So then by by, con- by pre-committing to that, then you uh, decide that when this co- coin flip happens, you're going to split the universe in two all along though, that particular axis, but, and then you can compare the results.
0: Sure, but it's important to the point I'm making that, that, that we not talk about the pre-committing case, because... Okay. Uh, the, the point the story makes is that that one difference, that one particle, you know, going one way instead of another, um, uh, has rippling effects. Right. So that even if there is no, like, even if you don't base a major life decision on it, like, should I get married or not? Um, even if all that happens is this one like particle, you know, like, you know, resolves in a different way, um, that... Ultimately, the universes, you know, over you know weeks and months, uh, like diverge just due to slight differ, you know, basically like the butterfly effect, right? Just like you know, rippling complexity. Well, this is the Hofstadter idea
1: of the of the complexity too, right? It just gets more and more comp- um different as time goes on. There's no way to avoid it,
0: which seems to me right, and that's the th- some something that that Ted Chang story. And again, Ted Chang is generally very good at this hard science stuff and getting it to be pretty plausible. Um, that story gets right, but that is like completely gotten wrong in devs, right? Because again, if you're, I don't know, I'm not say, far enough
1: to know yet, but yeah, that's what I've been sort of waiting to see.
0: Well, but no, but the Jesus thing is you, which you already know about yeah. is, is an example. I mean, I don't have to spoil anything, right? If you're, if you're right. extrapolating backwards, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be forwards. Um, the slightest, you know, mistake in your algorithm, the slightest mistake, uh, you know, going back, you know, to, um, thousand years, right, to the birth of Christ, um, is, is not going to result in, you know, grainy Jesus. It's going to result in a completely different outcome, right? Um, right, right, right. And I, 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 it was obviously super strange to me that they chose that
1: anyway. Wouldn't they have chosen something that we're sure happened, you know, (laughs) like there are people from that time we're sure we're alive, but Jesus isn't one of them. So, uh, I mean, you could go back then and see Jesus, and that would be interesting, I guess, because that would be evidence that Jesus existed. But shouldn't you, if you're testing your system to see if it works, wouldn't it make more sense to go back and, you know, see Cleopatra or somebody who we definitely know is a real human?
0: <laughs> uh, sure. Right. I mean, I guess it's, you know. I mean, uh, I, I don't
1: know. It just it seemed like... Awfully unscientific for these scientists to go after
0: Jesus. I guess I, I don't know what the state of scholarship on is like on whether. Uh, well, there's know, no she, tomb
1: of Jesus. I I don't think there's any proof that Jesus is a real person. I mean, may have been, I suppose, but may also have been three days later, or three days earlier sure. on the cross I, or something. I think just I the the
0: religious you know. resonance of that to a moment is obviously why the why the the writer wanted it. But um, sure. But but yes, I mean I sure. I mean maybe there's some other benchmark. I mean really, I mean you would start with something like that happened yesterday <laughs> and see if you could go. Well, I that assume far. that they had.
1: I assume that they had done those tests already. But yeah, if you're getting two thousand yeah. years back, I think you'd want to go with something well attested, <laughs> whatever that is.
0: But even like going back to yesterday, I mean again, you have to have so much data, and then like the slightest mistake is going to make yesterday deviate. You know, just through like yes. Uh, well, and the, the, errors. The,
1: the show did show this in the nematode thing, right? At the beginning, when the first character is showing his prediction model, it does go haywire very quickly. And that is sort of the limitation of it. Um, so I'm willing to buy a sci-fi premise that like, what if we got over that limitation? What then? But then I, um, I, I don't know, at least in what I've seen so far, they haven't really... Given me a compelling answer for what then? Because if it if what then is you can watch a window into, uh, the past or the future, that is like a video game, but you know is supposedly more realistic or something. I don't know. That just is so what? <laughs> Who cares about that? Why would we even? I mean, okay, you would use that for some stuff, but that does not seem like a world changing thing.
0: Sure, I get. Yeah, let's skip ahead to that. I mean, because like. I- T- to me, uh, it's it's a very implausible technology that isn't hand waved sufficiently. I have some ideas on how I would rewrite it uh-huh. uh, to to make it, you know, maybe still have the same magical outcome, but uh, maybe like justify it in a way I would have felt better about. Kay. I'm gonna save that for after you've watched the whole thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that later because I I suspect I'll have more thoughts on this now.
0: But uh, but yeah, the point you're making is okay. So let's just take this as a given, right? They can do this. They've got this. Uh a video time uh, machine. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's not... Like, this dude who's obsessed with his
1: daughter, whose dead daughter, right? I mean, and I get an inventor who's obsessed with his dead daughter. That's fine. That's a little cliche, but I definitely get it. Makes sense. Like, why isn't he building a robot and filling it with his daughter's personality or doing something that would approximate having his daughter instead of making a video screen where he can, like watch the past or even what, even if it turns out to be a twist where it's like, he wants to watch an alternate world where she's still alive or something, which I could see them going to something like that. I I still feel like, so what? Like the last thing I would want to do if I lost a loved one is like, watch a video of another universe where they still exist that I can never visit. That sounds like it would torture me and be terrible. Um, I I just I, yeah. I, I just really wonder about the value of this technology at all basically uh like why do this other than for like some expec- specific research purpose you know w- what exactly happened on this day or something like that uh,
0: I think I have a better idea of know. what the I- intended you know goal of the technology from the point of view of the main character is cuz I know more than you okay. so I'm not going to say that All right so
1: that's coming is all, But is, I will is, is
0: say something. that it's okay. based in Character <laughs> more than it's based in and philosophy than it is based in any kind of like instrumental. Like, it's more psych. I mean, the whole thing is very psychological, right? The whole motive for this giant technology, uh, and the themes that the technology represents, um, it doesn't really have ever any kind of instrumental grounding, as in, like, here's how they're gonna monetize it, you know, or you know, here's how you could use it to to do something powerful in the world. That's or, such a or... missed
1: opportunity to me when you're setting a sci-fi show at an actual Google-like company where that would be a significant part of the decision-making process. You know, like when it's a lone inventor, I understand, you know, maybe uh, doc or whatever is just obsessed with time travel. And that's just why he invented a time machine in his DeLorean or whatever. But like, I don't know it's such an opportunity when you're doing something like this to show how the technology gets made better and possibly made worse by the capitalist impulse and show how, you know, they even, I mean, even upload tried to do this poorly maybe, but at least they had this question of, you know, we're making a free program and somebody else wants to charge for it. And there's a, you know, some capitalist incentives and somebody gets murdered over it and everything. It's at least they thought about it. I don't know. I wish that they had done more with that.
0: No, it's like, well, when we first talked about the show last episode, I was feeling positive about the first episode because I'm like, it, yeah, they gr- they managed to take this crazy technology. At that time, I didn't know exactly what it was and ground it in a physical place in the world, right? You know, in right. San Francisco and, and inside a corporate structure. But yeah, they don't... At the end of the day, it's ultimately still feels kind of empty and kind of just like a lone inventor story with a little more set dressing, <laughs> right? Mm like it doesn't feel really fully part of a larger institution uh, in a way that in the way you're talking about that, I think would have been interesting. Um,
1: Yeah, yeah. that's too bad. I got so excited in the first two episodes when it looked like it was going to be like an industrial espionage show about some kind of a technology race between, you know, the Russians and American company and maybe the government. And I couldn't tell who else was going to be involved. And I was very excited and it's looking more and more like it's basically going to be like ex machina with a little bit larger cast, <laughs> like, you know, a kind of cool philosophical sci- sci-fi idea with like, you know, just more people than than three uh, or four however many people were in ex machina
0: yeah yeah Um, so i don't know hmm. uh let's let's visit it again uh when you finished yeah i Um, definitely i'm still
1: gonna finish it because at least the music and the shooting are really nice and like it has like a nice feel so it's worth i think so far it's been worth it to me to like watch even when i'm slightly disappointed
0: yeah when you can give your final review and i i will i'll give you what my uh attempted rewrite you can fix it for me
1: okay cool i'm looking forward to that that sounds um
0: I, I before we like move on to our uh, our comic i i want to say a few more words about the, the ted chang yeah 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 um, let's
1: finish that because we didn't really talk about like your thoughts thoughts about it
0: um well first of all that story is great i think we may have even said that back in the day when we uh when we reviewed a couple we didn't review this story in detail but we talked about uh, ted chang's exhalation yeah if collection. i remember
1: correctly i think i flagged this one as my favorite when you asked uh, sure. Back then, I think that's right.
0: Yeah. Um, well, and I just want to like highlight Ted Chang as like being, you know, in this sort of space that uh, that I'm interested in, like telling you know stories that sort of follow, uh, really embrace rules, right? You know, and instead of like you know changing the rules to to fit the story, like find a way to tell an interesting story within a constraint of rules. Like I think he does that very very well. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's maybe one of the the best authors I can think of at that. And this is a good story that where. They have this premise that is not as, you know, magical and clean as like you know, the time machine uh, <laughs> video screen <laughs> that they have in devs. Um, it takes a little longer to explain this like that you have this prism that like creates this forked. Uh, set of universes that you can communicate between. Right. Um, and there's and there's a further restriction on that, right? Which is that you only have a certain amount of data transfer before the connection is lost.
1: Right. So we have to explain kind of how the transfer works. Because so like the prism, right? Is uh, mm-hmm. It has like a size to it. Like I imagine it being about the size of a book or a tablet or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it has a physical size and there's like a minimum character size on it. And basically the way that you send messages back and forth is by writing them on the tablet in your world, right? So, uh, then what happens is they appear on the tablet in the other world.
0: Right, well, but you can send uh, not just text, you can send, uh, like, video and audio, but you you use up your space quicker. Exactly. I mean,
1: he he sets up a simple rule, which is that it's a limited number of characters, but then, of course... This is a world where there are computers, so characters can be data. They can be a limited number of, right. of, of bytes of data, but they can be data. So you can send a certain number of seconds of video, a certain number of seconds of audio that's longer, uh, a certain number of of words of text, which is even more. So if you're trying to like make it last the longest, you might want to use text. If you're trying to make it be you know, uh, one specific thing, you could get a video of that thing or a photograph of that thing, uh, at pretty high resolution. So you have some options, but you are limited to a total data, um, dump of a fairly small amount.
0: Yeah, this is, uh, I, I've actually got the book in front of me. Oh, great. So, um, it's, it says it's like, it's not like a radio connecting the two branches, right? Right. It's more like a notepad that the two branches shared. And every time a message is sent, a strip of paper is torn off the top sheet. And then once the notepad's exhausted, no more information can be exchanged and the two branches go their separate ways uh, forever. Right. Um, paraphrasing there. But yeah, that's the basic... That's a really cool uh, constraint and set of rules. And they, the, uh, I won't spoil the story itself. That's just the technology. But then, you know, he builds a, a story around that. And he also does a little bit amusing about how that affects you know, the larger world, there's like a, you know, a a lot of these prisons get made and there's a, you know, a secondhand market for reselling them, uh, you know, uh, because like over time, like the branches diverge more and more and there's, you know, there's different alternate realities and there's some experiments that people do. It's, it's, it's a pretty interesting story. Um, yeah. And, it's, uh,
1: I particularly liked about it, just to talk about the technology for a second, and then you yeah, can yeah. tell me your, your your main point, but like I particularly liked about it that it's a many worlds, uh, multiple universe uh, uh, theory story where there is a specific connection between the worlds, but where it respects the main idea uh, about many worlds, which is that you can never visit those worlds. Those worlds are completely inaccessible to you. Um, and even still, that's still true in this, like if you, uh, condition, I'm going to marry the girl or not marry the girl based on the blue and red. And then you're in the universe where you marry the girl. And then you're learning from the other universe that that you was happier. There's nothing you can do to become (laughs) that person. You're still stuck with the choice you made. Um, so it's, it's a very limited technology, but it can tell you really interesting things, um, that like, are not available to us counterfactual things that are not available to us in our existing world. So I, I just really liked that. I hadn't ever heard of that particular technology being, um, used before in a sci-fi story. And I thought it was really compelling. Uh, what, like, which is what that does to the brain when you think about what kind of counterfactuals you might want to have access to.
0: Oh yeah, totally. And, and, uh, I guess I just want to add in, um, the critique of this, Mm-hmm that uh that, that Robin hansen made because again that this is so relevant to what we're doing because it just has to do with you know those are that's a good set of rules he wrote a good story around it and then here comes along someone who's pointed out maybe maybe Ted Chang missed one of the consequences of his own rules. Here,
1: oh interesting. What's
0: that? Um at least according to Robin uh which is that uh the economic impact of this and and to be fair I mean this typically happens with Ted Chang where he mentions something <laughs> Like, he, he rarely completely misses anything, but then he kind of hand waves it away. So he mentions the fact that people would collaborate with their other selves. The The term that the story uses is paraselves, uh-huh. right? So if I have my prism that I bought and turned on on a certain day over the next uh, year or months or whatever it is, um, I'm communicating with the version of myself in the other world. Um there's no reason that we couldn't collaborate. You know, if I'm a if I'm a novelist, maybe I write one book, they write a, a different book, and then we trade, right? Or um, or what you could really yeah, do if you is could you fit could, the you, whole
1: book through the thing. How can you fit the whole book through the thing? I forget how much data. Well,
0: use. that's just text, so I mean, uh, it would be relatively easy to send a book right. uh, through. Um, or what, what you can start to do is is break up tasks. So it's more like, well, at, at from the moment I turn on the machine, we both had the same idea of this novel in our head, so. Right. I'll write chapter one. You write chapter two. We'll have a, a we'll start up a third prism, and we'll have those people write you know chapters three and four. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And then we'll write this novel in you know one tenth of the time or sure. less. Um, So there's some mention of that in the story, uh, and and Ted Chang makes it sound like that is kind of. I mean, there's a little bit of like uh, you know people do that like they're they're you know there's a market for songs that, uh, you know, musicians wrote in other universe branches and so on. But, the but he doesn't, he says the collaboration, you know, he talks about it like sort of usually like breaking down over time. Right. Um, I forget exactly all the problems he raises, but you know, he talks about like, it's just sort of hard to coordinate over a long period of time. And then sometimes like they, they forget to share stuff before the notepad runs out. (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. But I mean, what Hansen's critique is saying is like, you know, basically, actually, this would transform the economy, right? Because, I mean, and you could, you know, you could have a very short term collaboration that's only like, you know, a couple days at a time, and then you get around some of the coordination problems. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, literally any task that could be broken into component parts could be done exponentially faster with this technology. And like, that would dramatically uh, increase economic output um and i think i think there's something to that point and of course that's not the and again it's kind of goes to what we were saying too about like devs which is like what is the like sort of capitalist economic impact of this crazy technology yeah and like that doesn't really uh get explored in in the ted chang story um which is a lot more about like sort of on a on a human scale, you know, people looking at, you know, other lives they could have lived and and maybe feeling regret about that and th- issues like that that are...
1: Right. It's that, about the philosophical impact of counterfactuals, kind of like, what does that yeah. do to you if you didn't have those before and now you have them? Yeah. And it's not really about this other thing, which... Uh, yeah, because Hansen is right. In a way, this is like doing like a kind of costless uh, clone or, or emulation, right? Like... Uh, I mean, assuming these prisms are pretty cheap and that you can get a lot of them. And
0: you- the cost goes down over time, I think, which is something that's mentioned in the story, which you'd expect. Right.
1: Then you could, yeah, you could do any number of um, of things with them. Uh, but, but there's also the, like, Calvin and Hobbes, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, tran- uh, transmogrifier... Um, problem which is right i mean calvin and Hobbes. calvin c- clones himself so that he can get the clone to do his chores you remember this right c- classic i do yeah, yeah classic set and you know he has a cardboard box that he writes transmogrifier on or something and he goes under there and then there's two calvins and uh I- this plan uh goes horribly wrong because all of the calvins are calvin so they all have the character trait of not wanting to do their work which means none of them do the work; they all just create five times the chaos of, that one Calvin would create. And he tries to control them, but they don't want to listen to him because they're Calvins; they hate listening. Yes. To things. No, I
0: think that's I think that's funny and instructive. And there's a version of that problem that's mentioned by Ted Chang. Yeah. Uh, where he mentions the generals uh, or, or generals gen- and wanting to you know test out things, right? Like you know what happens if we uh you know invade this country right. or, or do this military maneuver um we can just simulate that in one of these other other branches safely right and then you know they'll go to the prism and of course the general on the other side of the window is wants to do the same thing uh it's like how about branch. you do it <laughs> right so like neither of them want to do it right? right so uh i think that you know that would be definitely an issue at the same time you know there's many tasks that could be divided equitably yeah um you know, I have like a, a a to-do list right now of things I need to do for this uh, this video game I'm working on, and I, you know, I, if it was determined randomly I, I, amongst six of myselfs, uh on, on any given day, I think I'd feel comfortable doing the, the the task I was assigned, right, and reporting back right to my other selves, and that would dramatically increase my productivity. Sure. So, Well, right. Um,
1: Then that just becomes like a cheating economy in school or something. You do the homework assignment that's easiest for you. You share it with your friends who did the homework assignment that was easiest for them. And you you all get uh, the right answers on all the homework.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, definitely, since you're working with yourself, you can't like, yeah, you can't divide things up along relative strengths because everybody's good at the same things because everybody's the same person. Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you might, ha- you might have thing. Well, but if it's all things you're about...
1: relatively good at, like, it's all yeah. video game programming sub-skill things, so you can do any of them, so basically it's just like, yeah, I get to do one of them, and then the other five just somehow were done for me, and in every universe the, the John that's sitting there gets the same benefit, basically, does one, gets five, or whatever. So, right. yeah, I mean, that that makes sense, and it uh, it's, it doesn't seem like- I don't know. I mean, well, so that would make the world better, right? Like uh, people would write books faster, their projects would be done faster, their uh, breakthroughs would come to market faster. Um, But would it radically transform the world or would it just make things a bit better? Um,
0: I think it would just speed up uh, production in certain kinds of tasks, right? Because it's sort of asymmetrical because there are many, many tasks that can't be broken down this way. Right. Uh, for which this wouldn't be helpful. Right. Um, so, yeah, it wouldn't, you know, it's it's an interesting thing to think about it, right? I mean, you'd have to sit there and, and kind of think through it. I don't know how where we would end up. Like, just for example, is this
1: as transformative as M's would be? I don't think so. If no,
0: no, I don't think it is. Uh,
1: which is a similar, but, you know, different. Because there, there are so many things you could do with M's that would be not possible to do with something like this. Well, because
0: M's can do everything this can do plus, right? I mean, well, this they is can't kind of like- do
1: everything because they can't give you ex- counterfactuals in quite the same way. But they could do so many more tasks, and if they would, I, I assume, have no uh, limit on on um, how much data they could transfer, they would have some sort of upper bandwidth limit, but it would probably be high. Um, so they'd be far more capable i feel like i mean just be a lot more scales and scopes of projects that you could
0: right right cuz with ms you can you can collaborate end. with many versions of yourself but without an arbitrary communication limit right, right? and with many uh, versions
1: of other people too like to the extent that those people are better fits or whatever um, you could
0: just mix it so up. So uh, anyways, yeah, all, all of that is interesting, and I, I highly recommend that story if uh, if people haven't read it. In fact, the whole collection is great. Yeah, it's um, such a
1: good book, and I, I love that particular story. I almost feel like reading it a second time. Um, so uh, it's it, I, I don't know. You've seen all of devs. Without telling me any uh, additional secrets that I haven't figured out, um, it seems to me like we have nothing to fear from devs. That whatever, I mean, is that not true? Do do you feel like after having seen whatever the latest revelations are at the end, that we have anything to worry about uh, in our piece?
0: Oh, you mean like like they scooped us on any ideas? Yeah, no, exactly. No, 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 okay. no. It's not. It's uh. I mean, it's. I mean, up- upload is is more closely related to what we're doing. Yeah, than well, the I'm, devs is.
1: I feel like we can compete with that. It's such a different tone. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, devs is about. Uh, I mean, look, I mean, inside the uh, time machine window is a kind of simulation, but it's just I don't know. It's it's so different from what we're doing. It's so different from uh, a, a typical simulation story, and so yeah, I don't I don't think it. I don't think it's a problem for us at all.
1: Yeah, I guess I mean I don't know if at any at any point you get anything subjective from inside the simulation itself, but. If you did, I guess that would be something that I'd be concerned about. But so far, everything I've seen, the s- simulation has been third person.
0: But even that, like, there's so many simulation stories now. And I think, I still think there's, you know, the fundamental things that we are doing differently, right? Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. Which is, yeah. No, I so agree. I, it just, it, it, that puts
1: it in the same wheelhouse in a way that it's not otherwise, I think. That's my only point. But yeah, I, I agree. I agree uh, that, I mean, I'm not too worried about it, plus we're making a comic book and you know, we're significantly less know, well-known than, uh, Alex Garland. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been interesting to watch that. I, I feel like that's closer in tone and style anyway, to what I'd like to see, you know, sci-fi, how I'd like to see sci-fi concepts treated on television, certainly than upload and, and really closer than things like, uh, Altered Carbon and stuff too for me that are more traditional sort of Blade Runner-y sci-fi worlds. But this has, I think, a nice, believable, specific, somewhat original to it feel and look that I think is cool.
0: Yeah, if like the plot of uh, Upload was straightened out and then told in the style of devs, (laughs) yeah, that'd be a pretty good show.
1: Like there's an Upload devs (laughs) mashup show that is somehow better than both of them
0: all right so let's
1: talk about our thing and really let's talk about what we were talking about last time right we get into this interworld communication issue
0: yeah let's follow up on that and see if we can't come to a decision
1: because that was really like making my brain hurt last time so let's let's just go back over what we what we were discussing okay I think I
0: can I can lay out the uh, there's like kind of three options okay. that we ended up with, right? Um, so uh, one is that, um, you know, there's just some sort of upper limit, right, on data transfer between worlds, right? Yeah, there is data transfer between worlds. You can, you can message a world directly. Um, messages can be handled in an automated fashion. Right, and and on top of this, you can basically build something like uh, like our current email service, but that there, uh, you were convinced, and I I think you can persuaded me that there would maybe need to be some kind of limit, right? Um, so there's uh, there's two kinds of
1: limits it could have, right? Uh, Yeah, because it could have a a limit on total amount of data per message, which is sort of similar to the limit that Ted Chang. Um, gives in the in the prism example or it could be a bandwidth limit which is you can pipe as much data as you want but only at you know 1,000 megabits a second a speed limit and I mean it could be be, the speed limit could be related to some physical limits like it could you know or something but yeah it would be some kind of speed limit
0: I would be partial if we had to pick to the speed limit version um, because otherwise defining what a Messages, the exactly. unit of a message. Feels that breaks awkward. down
1: really fast if the messages are costless to send. So you could just send a 25 megabyte message and then send another one, and then send another one, and send, send, send another one forever. Right? right. So um, that seems like you can too easily get around it. Um, so that's it,
0: so. option one is there's just a speed limit. It yeah. is a law of the world. It's a constant that's fixed like uh, the speed of light in it's, our world. Right. There's just um, a speed of data
1: basically in the world. Yeah. yeah. And there's that's. A, there's a speed. Yeah. That's conceptualized as like an internal bus in the simulation that basically buses any node in the simulation to any other node or something, and it just has a speed limit.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, And uh, so another option, and this one, you know, it's probably too complicated, but, uh, you know, is something that I was sort of just uh, riffing on last time and without being sure where I was going with it. But the, the basic idea would be, uh, there's no limit to message size, um, but there's limits to like what you can automate with the message that you send, right? So I can send a message to a world, but you know there can't be automated processing of that message on the other side, right? It can't be like sorted or opened, right? Um, it can be forwarded, maybe bounced directly to another world, but it can't be can't be transformed in any way. Um, basically, the message can't be opened or until a actual consciousness uh, opens it, right? At which point the data is streamed at the speed that that consciousness can experience it. So this is a little bit complicated. Okay,
1: so, so no, I, th- I think I can conceptualize that. That's like all, there is no transfer of information between worlds at all. There's, right. all information is stored in a central disk that any mind can access that's not associated with a world at all. It's associated with the simulation lar- at, at large. That's right. And uh, what you're sending around, what you're allowed to send around is a single formatted thing that's basically like a, a resource locator, like a URL. Um, it may not be formatted that like a, or
0: I was calling it a pointer. You're calling it a pointer. Uh, so yeah. it
1: could be like a symlink on a Linux system or uh, an alias on a Mac or uh, a URL on the web. These are all similar things. They are a very small data file that has an extremely specific formatting that all it does is tell a compatible system where some other information is on a system. So it would basically say that's the only communication available. That communication is only available from mind to mind. Um, It can be forwarded from world to world in order to find the mind, but it can't even be opened by the world. It can only be passed along. And then when a mind on any world processes one of those pointers, then all the data is streamed directly off the disc into the mind's processing space or whatever you want to call it. And, um, you know, uh, the, the thing that is equivalent to its brain when it's loaded up in the computer. And, uh, and that makes sense too. That means that the data is being accessed directly, that there's no virtual disc for each world. Um, Right. So instead, there's just one big disk that all the worlds are accessing, uh, uh, but not the worlds are asking, but all the minds are accessing no matter what world they are instantiated on at the time.
0: And, right. And a couple consequences of that are one, the effective data speed is sort of the speed of experience, I guess, right? And like, the data speed could full. be unlimited
1: in that case because you can't, um, you couldn't use that to pipe two worlds together because you're fundamentally requiring a mind to experience it. Right, so
0: sure you get around the problem of building a. You can't build a supercomputer with that. Or something exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But there would be, you know, also you couldn't experience the data faster than you could experience it, right? I mean, like I, I mean, I guess my, you know, assuming you can't like hack yourself to add a seventh sense or something, right? Or channel to experience it. Um. So but it there, also there, there, means there is- you
1: can't do. Let's. See. I guess you can build computing in world. So you can do. Yeah, you can. You could still stream data in world, right? This is just what happens between worlds. So yeah, you could still do any kind of processing you want by building a computer in the world, right?
0: Right. Yeah. I- inside of a single world, none of this is relevant. Yeah. Right, yeah. It would be right, fine. Right. Uh, Got it. But but there are some limitations on automation uh, that are consequences as well. So uh, going back to our money world idea. Right. If I want to send money to your account. And effectively, that's a message that I'm sending to Money World. Well, I guess it just means there has to be an operator at Money World to receive my request and then perform. So, so you yeah. can't automate that, though. You can't have like a, a, the, the, a, a script doing it. The
1: process we're not allowing the processor to be an AI is what you're saying, because it has to instantiate in some. So the the information that's in the message is something like your account number, the receiving account number, and the amount to come, right? So some mind has to be present to see those things and then enter them into the money world system.
0: Um, yeah, and AI and, can't do anything other than just forward that pointer along. That pointer. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So so that you know that creates some some effects. Okay, so that's option two.
1: So yeah, that's interesting. That would be like a that would be like a job that this would like an actual human job in this world.
0: It would create a job. It would create a Um, yeah, because people would
1: do, I guess, for short periods of time and probably be paid very well for, since be really critical. But like, there are so few jobs.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, any 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 job that requires you know taking incoming data from other worlds and transforming it in any way yeah it would have to be done by a human so we well, just create a d- lot of, d-
1: data yeah. entry right it would be like a because <laughs> yeah, data, yeah. because in world you can do whatever computing you want within reasonable limits right so you're like yeah you're basically these are data entry jobs because data because in this world you can't actually pass data between worlds you can only pass um data between minds
0: right right um Okay, so we got option one, option two, and then option three is the simplest of all, uh, and that is just there is no interworld communication. Uh, you have to teleport to other worlds if you want to get messages to people. Uh, fortunately, like you know, teleportation is costless and instant, so right, um, you know, you can still do a lot of the same things just with a little more friction. If I want to get a message to you, I teleport to the lobby of your home world, and I leave a virtual message that's kind of like an an answering machine used to be, um, or like a voicemail. And then later, if you come back to your home world, you can, you can get that message. Or maybe when I show up in your lobby, it says, Hey, I'm out. And here's where I am. Like an old style away message. Right. Um, that tells you where to teleport next to find that person. Right. So, uh, that's the third option.
1: Right. Well, and that is extremely clean and doesn't require these sort of, more complicated idea of like a of like a bandwidth limit um
0: now the complicated one i mean if we had to explain it to our readers would be i think a non-starter but because it's not i mean none of this stuff needs to be fully made explicit in this highly technical sense you know um we no, just need to know I just how need to, be able to
1: conceptualize it so that i can figure out what's gonna happen
0: <laughs> right i mean I, I mean i think i think readers will understand w- w- if we know what we're talking about without yeah. us you know like like it'll be conveyed that we understand our own rules uh without us having to to do that all the time um so i think you know some of the cost of the complexity is not there because you know uh we know how it works and not everybody else has to but i think it's still maybe not as good to have that complicated one um on right. on balance
1: so just yeah and I, I uh so when you're the one you're calling the complicated one is the second one the one about moving points second maybe we should give them names Okay, so there's, there's there's yeah,
0: yeah there's the this the there's
1: speed limit is option 1
0: speed limit right? yeah
1: so you can send data between worlds but at a defined speed limit option 2 is uh data is sent between minds with an exception for pointers, simple pointers.
0: So mind-to-mind so mind or so, something.
1: So that's mind-to-mind. Mind. And then uh, option three is... Uh,
0: nothing. Is nothing <laughs> no, no, inter-world. No, So world So no uh, yeah. data is
1: only transferred within worlds. And all... The only kind of data transfer that's allowed between worlds is loading up a different user. That's it. Like Because that is, in a way, a data transfer. But it's not... It's just like the user is not in one world and then goes to another world, um, uh, and that. But no data can, can move at all. I my you know I, my instinct is that that third thing because it is so simple and so strong is going to ultimately be the best for us. But um, I definitely prefer a pointer system to a speed limit system. Interesting it, and the main reason why is because the pointer feels more abstract and less um I don't know. I, I they're both pretty abstract cuz speed limit is also like a pretty abstract concept but I think there's something about the speed limit one that maybe just pulls back the curtain more than I want to or something. Um I I'm not as worried about the complexity of the pointer idea. Um, I guess
0: because we'll we'll just dramatize the effects of it. And I mean, maybe yeah. at some point a reader would ask, "Well, like, why didn't they automate this message thing?" And you know, we can say something brief about that if we have to. But I don't. Yeah, right. I think we can. Uh, um right that's interesting i mean to me the speed limit and when we were talking about it last time i had the same thing about you know that you were that you're hinting at now where it felt a little arbitrary this limit a little bit you know like i'm feeling the hand of the simulators too much in the way that we didn't want to have an age of majority for example right but uh i started to feel better about it when i thought of it more of like a sort of constant of the universe uh you know sort of like The speed of light, because then I imagine, you know, people sort of discovering the speed limit empirically inside of our simulation. Right. Well, and Um, if they find out that it is
1: like less than it should theoretically be, right? Like, if they're like theoretically using whatever the fastest, you know, lasers or whatever the fastest uh, information transfer technology we have invented in here is, we should be able to get X speed. But and we do get X speed interworld or in the world. But when we do uh, this from one world to another, it always lowers down to this speed or something like that. They might discover that there's like an arbitrary limit, you know, mm. which is maybe kind of interesting, like in the way that, you know, it's a little bit like uh finding an angel buried in the ground or something, you know, it kind of gives you some information about how the world is. Um,
0: Yeah, and that's an interesting dramatic moment when people figure that out. So, if we wanted to dramatize, now there's no shortage of us, of things that we can do that with, though, right? Because there's a lot of.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, and then I I could see from like the uh, point of view of the alien or uh, intelligence that builds this thing or whatever that, uh, well, whatever we put in here, whatever kind of beings they are, whatever kind of lives they lead, you know, we don't want them building supercomputers. So, we're basically going to just. We know that theoretically, like, as long as we limit the data transfer between worlds to X amount, you know, and each world is limited to X amount total computing power, um, then we know that no supercomputers will arise, basically. And maybe that is the limit. And maybe that is how they experience the world, that they're able to do all kinds of stuff, um... But yeah and that gives but they're the, that's not a good... able to build their own simulating supercomputers whenever they try to do that it fails right. um, and you know and maybe that is what it is and then option one works and then so under that circumstance I'm behind option one the pointer thing is interesting the mind to mind the idea of like a mind loading data directly up into its consciousness without the mediation of a world is really interesting to think about but I wonder, yeah i wonder if it harms our i wonder if it harms our overall system because we are saying like you wake up in your homeworld you always have a homeworld set that like minds don't exist outside the worlds
0: it does seem to make the mind maybe a little more of an entity than we wanted it to be like it feels like more like primary in the hierarchy yeah and then the other problem i'm now realizing is we wanted to skin the messages in fun ways like i'm in you know medieval world and it arrives on a carrier pigeon or something because that's how the settings of this world are designed well that uh maybe makes less sense if i'm sort of opening it with my own mind i mean right. i guess right uh, I, I guess no within- if a user
1: is an entity that like is instantiated in a world it does make sense that like there should be like a virtual disk or something that that world can address that holds all of the world's data. And it does seem like, yeah, I don't know. It seems to me like maybe it's, as I like the pointer thing. I think it's interesting. But yeah, the more we talk about it, the more I think maybe it's problematic for.
0: Yeah, and I only invented that to solve a problem that you posed, which was, you know, how can we have the speed limit be something more fundamental? And I was like, well, what if it's like the speed of human experience or something? So like, it was sort of I a see. fun, you know, rabbit hole to go down. But yeah, I, I'm fine cutting that on the basis of it's just a little too, I don't know. It, yeah, the it's others cool. are much cleaner. It's cool,
1: but I think it might cause problems maybe. Uh, and yeah, I think the, the speed limit is straightforward. I mean, the speed limit can't be argued with. If the speed limit is literally just the same as the universe is, that's not going to work, right? Because then they're going to be able to create a supercomputer. Um, but if they find that for whatever, like for an indefinable reason or, or for a discoverable reason, uh, it's limited to below what they thought it should be, that could be like a strong indication of like oh, whoever created this wanted us to live here and not just build endless cycles of simulation.
0: Um, so let's let's do the same analysis to... Because uh, right now we're down to the final two, let's say. And then the speedless. other thing which I think absolutely works, but yeah. it's just
1: very limiting, and we've had some pushback from uh, some of our listeners about is it, you know, is it a good idea, um, is just no interworld communication at all, uh, but, but cheap and instant teleportation, which allows you to... And also in this world, there would be no particular limits on what AIs can process, right? So um, messages, you can have an AI set up on your world that records every message that people leave for you, that organizes it, does intelligence on it, puts the ones that you, it thinks you're going to care about up at the top, gives you a notification bell, whatever. But in, in order to see any of that information, you have to pop into your own lobby. You have to jump home even for a second. You know, Maybe that's as quick as glancing at your phone screen, though. And you just pop in. You see at a glance what your AI has out for you. And if anything is interesting enough to want to uh, experience it, you you say, okay. And then you pop back to wherever you were. Um, you know, it, it works. It just, it, it militates toward a universe where people are going to be entering and exiting worlds a lot more than the world where you can transfer... Um, any data you want, but just at a, some, at some limit, uh, to prevent circumvention of the world. Um, in that world it would make much more sense to stay in the world you're comfortable in and do a lot of data transfer because that could include holographic phone calls that are, you know, that have all five senses and are, you know, um, fully immersive. It could include, um, you know, uh, like, it, it, it just, it, you could get much better communication technology than we have now, right? Well,
0: well hang on, because there, there's another thing, too, which is, if you are um, in the no communication version, yeah. right, um, if you are, you know, one of these, you know, active user types that's, you know, hopping around, uh, you know, going to different worlds, um, but you're maintaining your own home world. Right? Yeah. Um, then yeah, you're gonna have to pop back and forth a lot. Um, and I'm sure that would be, you know, facilitated by entrance contracts allowing it make it easy to like pop out for a second and come back to what you were doing. Right. But I don't but I wonder if that would then create a sort of more pressure for people to, you know, share homeworlds, right? Because Well well, right. I
1: mean if you're one of these people who doesn't travel uh, much, or at all, either for religious reasons or otherwise, then you're going to set the world you're in most frequently as your home world. And that's going to be where you get messages, and you're going to be on that world most of the time. Of course, in inside the world, in any case, there's fast communication. So you have a cell phone, or you have a monitoring system inside your brain, or you have something, and it, you know, it can... According to the rules of that world, it can uh, interact with you.
0: Right. And in the world where there, if there is, if in the universe where there is interworld communication, then your home world is maybe sort of something that is like in the background. Uh, that you don't even visit that often. It's like this uh, eject spot you can get to when you need to retreat. It's like has set up to process messages the way you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but you maybe would go long stretches without ever visiting it because it's just sort of your, you know, sort of data storage location or whatever it is. Um, and and you're meanwhile you're out and about in the world, and then occasionally you'd come to your homeworld. Um, whereas if you have no inner world communication, yeah, there's going to be tremendous pressure to just like reroute your home world to be, uh, probably something that's shared with other people. Even if you're the kind of person that hops around worlds a lot, you might want to have, uh, you might be more inclined to, to well, share. Well, hang on,
1: because you can leave messages for people on any world, right? It doesn't have to be their home world. That's true. So, uh, what there is, is there's a world that you're most frequently on. And you would basically want to advertise to people you know or people even that you want to know um, that that's where they should message you. So even on other worlds, social media or whatever, you would say, Message me at this world. This is where I usually am. And then you would basically just make sure you checked in to that world a couple of times a day to see your messages. Um, But that could be. That's true. It
0: doesn't have to be your eject destination, which is like how we define the home world. That's true. Yeah. You could receive your messages somewhere else.
1: You can receive your messages in any world that allows people to receive messages there, which would be most worlds.
0: But uh, the thing about that is that you, uh, you might want to receive messages in a place where you have total control. You might want and that's to. that's the other thing. And that's the other thing is that your home world is going to be a place that you have total control, and you may or may not have total control at some other place. Right.
1: Been. So, right. That's correct. And if you're spending most of your time in places that you can easily come and go from, then you would probably make your home world your answering machine, uh, and you would just pop into your home world five, six times a day, but not for very long to just like check your messages the way you look at your phone, um, right? I mean, that's the way yeah. that would work for I think a lot of people. But then if you're going to go to a world that's hard to get in and out of for some reason, uh, like it's you know it doesn't have persistent contracts or you know whatever, then you would just set it up so that everybody knows to message you there. Uh, which is information you could easily spread around. Uh, you could even leave a message on your home world saying, message me at this other world. And then in that world, there could be uh, whatever processing is allowed, including processing that would like take all your messages and deliver them directly to you and stuff like that. So you could... Um, yeah, you would basically... I, I think under that situation, there would be a lot of fast interworld communication but it wouldn't work for all people in all circumstances because it would depend on uh what the particular permissions of the worlds they were in uh were set to uh but I kind of like that and uh, and and it doesn't result in like um so I think this addresses like the issue that somebody brought up on Twitter or whatever which is like this doesn't address in uh, this doesn't result in like a situation where like Oh if only we could call you know Jimmy on uh, the intergalactic space phone he would know not to go into that uh, cabin and he wouldn't die right I mean we're never gonna use it for that it's like kind of the opposite like we're trying to figure out how to build a communication system that feels you know more flexible than the one we have now um in a simple world that could have been designed by you know humans <laughs> for like you know I mean like i I think the, yeah it, it, there would be inter- there would be human beings communicating with each other from one world to another under any of these systems. What there wouldn't be is like endlessly giant computation hacks um that are like defeating the purpose of the simulation by running a simulation inside it or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I think. I don't know. I think the simplicity of just no interval communication at all really appeals to me. I can understand the speed limit. I guess that it's abstract enough that I can go with it um, but there's something about how it sort of shows their hand that like basically they did this because they didn't want any supercomputers um, that just still feels a little bit like
0: well, and that could also well, human okay, or so
1: intentional to me that I would kind of wish we didn't have.
0: So I, I'm ready to now to make a, because I agree with okay. everything you said, uh, to make a soft commitment to um, the idea of no inter-world communication. Um, I think that it's simple. I think that it keeps our sort of core, I guess, I mean, I'm thinking of this almost like a game design thing, but like the sort of the core mechanism here is these worlds and their and their permission settings, right? And it keeps the focus squarely on that right? Um, in, a, in, I think, a very elegant way. Yeah. Um and that's like where we you know the core thing that we're pushing here. Um it uh and to the extent that it adds a little bit of friction where you actually have to move between worlds. That's going to be visually interesting. Yep. Um it solves the problem of the supercomputer so that I think the next thing we should talk about maybe is reverse engineering what this says about the simulators that they did it this way. I think this is a way for them to Uh, prevent a supercomputer, obviously. Right. Um, It's a little more draconian than the speed limit choice. But... um, Yeah,
1: it seems to um, imply a mild preference for people, like, kind of picking a world and sticking to it. Um, Which, in some ways, which I think is maybe okay. Like, maybe it implies a little bit of the... Creators wanting um, a wide variety of self-contained worlds, perhaps because they think that that will be the most interesting experiment if they're running some kind of experiment, or perhaps because they think that that will lead to the most interesting diverse cultures if they're just looking for entertainment. Or I, I don't know why they'd be doing it exactly, but um, I, I think there's something about trying to make each world a self-contained cultural island that is like kind of compelling to me as a, as I imagine the simulator. I don't know. What do you think about that?
0: Uh, that's interesting. And that's not what I was thinking, but that is cool. I I think, well, I was just thinking it promotes a sense of like groundedness, Mm -hmm. um, in location more. It makes the locations feel uh, more solid, Mm -hmm. uh, more like planets and less ephemeral. Um, because you have to actually move to stuff to get messages it's it slows down the pace of communication a little bit um i think maybe i would rather uh live in this simulation personally as a human with human psychology maybe even because this seems like less of a uh you know utopia uh that ha- sorry that saying this wrong this version of the simulation um. Uh, feels like more less full of push notifications. I guess right. for a lack of No, way to I was say just it.
1: thinking about that. Like while you were talking, I was thinking about that exact thing, which is um, like, it, it wouldn't really be totally. Po- well, it would be possible, but it would be a lot harder to create the like Amish throwback worlds if we don't do it this way, right? Because there would be uh the possibility that things that are happening in other worlds would continue to sort of like bleed in and influence them. Right? Like, oh, they I mean, they'd be able to turn all that stuff off, but it seems like they'd be able, they would uh, be constantly finding new ways that the world was communicating with them to try to turn off. Rather, I than mean, you like, could have
0: constant interworld spam like coming. I mean, yeah. yes, of course, all that's setting, so you could turn it off, right? So, I mean, yeah, but it does the this this structure militates against that, right? Um, and I mean, look, this is kind of how I live my life intentionally now, right? <laughs> Which is that, like, I try to only, you know, answer messages, you know, two times a day, say, right. Um, you know, I, I don't need to do it that way, but I kind of do that for my own sanity, right? Right. Um, and so this kind of enforces that. So, I mean, I don't know. But you could uh, also
1: jump to your world uh, once every 30 seconds for just a second to see, right? Like it would definitely be possible to do it that way, which is good because I think we want people to be able to make bad choices. But yeah, I like that it militates a little bit toward the idea of like, Investing really heavily in a world and kind of sticking around there for a while, um, because I think that's how you get the most interesting simulations. I think if people are constantly jumping and jumping and jumping around, um,
0: well, it's weird because they'd be jumping more or less, right? It's like it's a little bit confusing, right? Because they you have to jump more, maybe in the version without communication because the jumping replaces the communication, but I still, I, I still get what you're saying. But those quick
1: jumps are different, I think yeah. because you're jumping right back into your world. So really they're just like looking at your phone. They're not like going to another place and starting a new life. Yeah. Um, we so I don't know. I think like, yeah, I think this will encourage people to do a lot of sort of, uh, incidental jumping that doesn't really matter, but to spend most of their serious investment into like a single world at a time, or just a couple of worlds at a time rather than spreading it out really thin. And that does seem right to me. If you're trying to get some kind of information or interesting simulations or something that you'd want people to kind of invest, um, effort into them, um, living in them and making them better and whatever. Um, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't know, this you, is feeling right as we're talking about it.
0: Yeah, no, I think so. And I think, um, again, kind of going back to the visuals in a comic book or, you know, if this ever became a movie or something like it would be, you know, to see someone check their messages. I mean, this is a problem with, you know, uh, modern storytelling is like, you know, the checking of messages and, and doing uh, virtual things is often you know not very visually interesting, um, or you have to work hard to make it visually interesting, and uh, this inherently makes it visually interesting because you're you're going to a new place and a new setting, even for just a frame. Um, yeah. So I, I I think there I think there's definitely benefits aesthetically, right? Yeah. Um. And yeah, and I don't. I think as long as we, I think it's okay making choices for those aesthetic reasons as long as we don't feel like it makes our simulators totally bizarre. But I I, I, there, I, think there are simulators that would make this choice.
1: Right. Yeah, I guess I don't want to make our simulators too specifically, obviously, one thing. I think that's yeah. mostly what I want to avoid. I'm okay with them being bizarre. I'm okay with them being sort of inscrutable as long as they're not stupid. I mean, you know, we don't want them to, like, leave a door to their universe or anything like that. Like, just dumb. Um, but, uh, you know... They could, I think, I think it's cool if they, uh, are sort of ambiguous and we can uh, conceptualize them as either aliens or AIs or advanced humans and it doesn't change what they did. I think like, as long as it kind of feels that way, I'm going to be pretty happy with it. Um, let's
0: see. Uh, why, I think, why don't we, cause we actually talked for a long time. Yeah. Why don't we, um, why don't we wrap things up? But I, why don't we wrap great. up with, um, a few questions for next time? Okay. So that we can think about them. And, uh, if our, if our listeners want to think about them, great. Um, cause I've got some things that we didn't get to. Uh, so, so one of the questions I have here is, uh, and I may have mentioned this before, but, uh, you know, what do the home worlds default to? Right. Like, visually? Uh, like to- Yeah, like, aliens download you or upload you, whatever the term is, into this uh, simulation. Right. We know that you start on a home world. Right. Uh, we know that you get some kind of, like, welcome statement. Um, what does that home world look like? Is it a white room, you know, Matrix style? Is it uh, designed to look like you're... A uh, childhood memory? Is it uh, some other blank slate? Is right. it something weirder than that? I mean, what is it? Is right? it something
1: that's sort of vaguely designed to be pl- cl- calming to humans, like a you know a window looking out on a green plane with like a v- ocean in the background or something? <laughs> or, like you know, we could we could it could be something that's like average, like derived from average human psychology, or something that's derived from like your specific human psychology or it could be um, just whatever the last thing you saw when you went to sleep, or it could be... I guess that
0: would be the least jarring thing, would be to just make it look like the place you were in...
1: Right. You um, know, when you went
0: to sleep, right?
1: Or, or it could be, you know, it could look like a fancy hotel, like they do in Upload, or it could be um, a, uh, you know, a kind of heavenly vibe, you know, clouds and stuff, or it could be...
0: Uh, so anyways, yeah, yeah that's something that something to think about um because that's a choice then that's important sure um the the welcome text i had this thought about it um and you can sort of think about whether you think this is a good idea or not of of maybe that's instead of being like a speech or something it's like sort of bulleted out um into like you know 10 almost like 10 commandments but like 10 axioms or something right you know you know everybody has words
1: like floating in the sky or something
0: um, well, I don't know how it's presented, like but that kind of connects to the previous question as ter- far as how it's presented. Sure. But I mean, the actual textual content would be like very bite-sized things like, you know, the way that like, uh, Asimov's three laws of robotics are very, you know, clearly expressed, you know, sure. so it'd be like the first one would be like, you know, uh, minds exist within worlds and then, you know, every, every mind has a home world, you know what I mean? like world or something yeah like or just, i mean
1: or are those the things that people would figure out and the actual things that it would tell you are more like you this is your world you know it to to control it talk to the
0: exec you know um right so i guess that the choice that what i'm saying? well we should write this text either way so like we can make the bigger question to be like what how should it be presented i guess i'm saying one way we could present it is a little less uh handholdy And helpful (laughs) right um but but it's sort of like here are the basic core rules you know uh presented in a somewhat neutral way yeah um which uh you know that's a choice i don't know that's a choice
1: we'll have to talk about i guess yeah we have to figure out whether it makes sense to have it be um that people figure out the rules or that they are presented with them and uh you know what yeah, what 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 we want them to be presented with versus figure out, I guess is like the kind of big question.
0: Right. I just think like it maybe since we're trying to do something interesting uh where we want to make our audience aware of the rules and what they <clears throat> what they mean, it does give us a device to like very quickly give them that vibe and some of that information, yeah. right in the way that again the Asimov stories do, right? You can always like turn back to those laws and read them and, like, think about them in the context of the and, story. Oh, and the
1: reading. characters will repeat them through the story and, like, yeah. you, you know, they, they bring them up a lot.
0: Yeah. And there's something, yeah, religious yeah. about it, too, like with the, t- you know what I mean? like the-
1: Right, if you have ten axioms, then the then the religions can adopt those as, like, commandments. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think there's, there's reasons you might intentionally ape our religions in order to express a godlike power over us, right? Like, if I was... A simulator and I was waking up a sim in a, I mean, uh, okay. So upload is another good example on this. Uh, right. Cause upload has answered this question. So they have a customer service representative that wakes up every sim. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they, they whisper in their ear, like, you know, don't open your eyes yet or something, you know, they do like a kind of calming thing. Um, and, uh, other people who've talked about emulated brains, uh, have posited a kind of calming, opening uh dave marusek in the wedding album also has you know the the sims in that often freak out that's like the technology is early and they they don't always work they don't always take and so you know they very calmly like introduce them to the idea that they are the sim and they're not the real one and then they see if they freak out you know um and delete them if they do and take them again um so you know we could have something like that that's sort of hand holds you in because it's sort of scary. Or, you know, I mean, uh, it could also not tell you. It could also let you wake up and you don't know where you are and things are kind of strange and it waits until you ask, where am I? And then a voice answers and then you say, who are you? And then, you know, I mean, it could be kind of Socratic or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) Like it could really wait for you to lead it. And some people might go through some period of time before they realize it's even happened. You know, I mean, I don't know. I, anyway, we can think about that. Well, and I think more. there
0: could be an inverse relationship in between those two things and that the, the environment could be more handholdy and the text could be less so or vice versa or right? vice versa. Yep. hmm. Um, cause I think in upload, you know, for example, <clears throat> the environment is strange and weird, uh, and different than where you were when you died, right. uh, or, or got scanned so that the, then the, text they're saying to you is very calming right but those could be inverted right um uh so yeah that's something that let's really maybe focus in on that next episode if we can yeah and uh the other thing if we have time that i that we should start thinking about is just sort of basic human needs and how those are interpreted via the defaults like what is the default surrounding the need to sleep uh and the and hunger and thirst and uh, we know that sleep and eating wouldn't be essential. They would be settings, but what are what's the default, right? Um, right, right. I so have thoughts I about that, but I'll save about.
1: them for next time. I think that that's definitely something we can talk about. All right. Thank you to everyone for listening. We will be back soon with more of the graphic novel, Constellation. See you next time. This has been Constellation, making the graphic novel. Our theme song is Pomona by Audios. To subscribe to this podcast, look us up on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher application. You can find us on Twitter or on the web at constellationpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.